Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Well, I've been stuck in this room for about a week, and I keep having the strangest dreams. Mm, yeah, that sounds about right. Somebody has been playing Yume Nikki. <laughs> That's right. It's part of 16-bit month. It's the last uh, ish. entry. Last-ish. There's sort of a bonus. <laughs> Uh, next week but yeah 16-bit month we did four episodes on 16-bit and 16-bit inspired games and this is the last one yay uh it's one of my favorite games i'm a little bit obsessed with it uh (laughs) we'll talk about it (laughs) it's one of those games that you hear about like it's a it's like a living legend yeah this is like the uh the sasquatch of the video game industry yeah or like the ring tape (laughs) yeah you know either way uh but before we get too deep into it as always this episode is brought to you by you you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out more uh and zero brightness is a game club at the end of each episode we tell you what we're playing next so you can play along if you so choose Yes. I love it when that happens. It's just so nice to get everybody together for the holidays. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So you may Nikki. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you may Nikki. God, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. So where do you start? Well, let's start at the start. Uh, this game was released in 2004 by a mysterious developer who goes by the name Kikiyama. Mm -hmm. Now, what's kind of wild is that 15 years later, this developer is still a mystery. Nobody knows who this person is. And if you go to any Yumeniki forum or subreddit or whatever, there's Mm -hmm. still people who are like arguing. One person's like, I want to find Kikiyama. Here's all the clues. And someone else is like, <laughs> leave them alone. <laughs> well, it it's just one of those things that doesn't happen in the age of the internet. Yeah. Like, people aren't supposed to be ambiguous. Right. Well, and it's just really interesting the way that this game came about. So it was originally posted on 2Channel, which is the Japanese forum. And the dev... I believe the dev posted it on two channel and was updating it with like patches, new versions and interacting with people a bit. And then basically just went silent one Mm -hmm. day. And I believe that was even still, it was all within that year, like all within a Mm -hmm. year they put the game out, they made updates to it. They interact with people a little bit. There was like an email in the game. You could email this person. uh, And then it just stopped and the game just existed (laughs) Uh, and fans basically passed it around and over the years it gained this notoriety um Mm -hmm. the it's basically an early internet mystery that still endures which is really crazy Um, this is like pre creepypasta generation right yeah absolutely so this is like pre pasta yeah totally anti-creepypasta if you will yeah i mean it's one of the things that drew me to this game back when i played it which is probably in like 
2010 or 2011 mm-hmm. um, was that there was this mystery around it. And like, I love creepypastas. I love internet mysteries. I make no bones about that. <laughs> I can very easily give you some great recommendations for both. Um, but yeah, I was definitely drawn to the game because it had that air. But then once you actually sit down and play the game, there's actually a lot there. And the sort of mystery or mysterious element is also baked into the game. Like, it's a very strange game. There's a lot of very strange choices, and I love how those Mm -hmm. things come together in this game. Well, it does something that's very abstract and very, uh, like, broken narrative, sort of like a Harmony Harmony Corinne, uh, David Lynch sort of way. Yeah. But it does it under the guise of, like, a cute, Earthbound-style RPG. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Harmony Corinne and maybe, like, David Lynch's online shorts that he used to put on his website are... Oh, dumb land. Yeah. Like, those are both really good points of reference, I think, because this game is lo-fi in its own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks amazing, in my opinion, and it's got a great visual style, which we'll talk about, but... It was also made in RPG Maker 2003, (laughs) Uh, which was a very, very popular sort of DIY prefab game engine that anybody could get at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, RPG Maker 2000 had sort of made a splash when it was released. Uh, It notoriously had a console release on the PS1 that was like impossible to use because how the fuck are you going to type and shit? (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so RPG Maker 2003 was, like, an updated version that I don't know if it was free or if everybody just pirated the fuck out of it, but, like, everybody had it. I had it, and I mean, I fiddled fiddled around with it and made just, like, a little RPG town. Um, Yeah. But, like, this is someone taking that and just making, like, pure artistry. You ever see the videos of, like, Andy Warhol, like, fucking off in the paint program in Amiga? Yeah. Uh, one of the fascinating things about it, though, is that because this game was an RPG maker and it was like just created by one person and distributed on a forum, it inspired a ton of people. So there are a bunch of fan games that are sort of unofficial sequels to Yume mm. Nikki, as well as even more games that are just heavily, heavily inspired by Yume Nikki. Um, I'm not going to sure. talk about any of the like ones that are just sort of vaguely... Uh, like inspired, but there are two notable fan games which are Yume Two Key, just <laughs> uh, like someone's attempt at a sequel. That's actually a pretty cool game, and Dot Flow, which is another semi sequel that is cool. That's cool. I don't know anything about those. Uh, I kind of came into this not just knowing about the legend of this game, but really not digging deep into it. So I kind of had a fresh look on the game. Like, I had no idea what the game flow was going to be like. Sure. And things like that. So I was sort of expecting, a, you know, an Earthbound-style game, and you definitely don't get that. No, it's it's something completely different. So, and, you know, just one more final note about the release-slash-development. Uh, in 2018, there was a lot of buzz and excitement and disappointment and just general disagreement uh, because the publisher Playism announced that they were re-releasing Humanity onto platforms like Steam and also they rebooted it 
uh, as Yume Nikki Dream Diary. So there's mm-hmm. like a 3D, I don't know if remake is the right word. It's more of a reimagining that's called Yume Nikki Dream Diary. Uh, very mixed reviews. Have you played it? Uh, yes, I've played all of it. And I actually really, really like it. Oh, well, there you go. I'm super in the minority, though. Uh, mm. I think it's a really cool game. It's sort of like if Yume Nikki was someone making this crazy abstract, you know, art game with the resources that they had in 2003 to make an indie game. Mm. This is the same thing, but for 2018. Let's all get together and like somehow give Harmony Corinne a copy of RPG Maker 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would end well for anybody. But yeah, Yume Nikki Dream Diary, I actually think is really good. Uh, it got a couple patches after release that added some really important features. And I don't know, I think it's a cool game. But uh, yeah, it was interesting how that whole thing, because they launched that and then they launched a manga and some merch. And Really? Yeah. Wow. It was really interesting because it kind of whipped up the whole fandom into a frenzy. But it wasn't all positive, obviously. A lot of people were pissed and or just didn't like what they were doing. But I think it kind of had a net positive effect for this game because it made a lot of people go back and check it out, re-experience it or whatever. And I think this game is great and it's super important, has a really important place in history. And I think more people should play it. That makes it all the more crazy that the developer hasn't been outed yet. No. Well, and that's actually part of, I don't know, part of the controversy around the sort of reboot was that play is, so this publisher playism, um, basically we're like, we collaborated with Kikiyama, the developer, they signed off on everything. It's cool. And then people were like, but how do we know that? (laughs) Yeah. Which is actually a fair point and that they don't know. And so there was, you know, it kind of reopened that whole conversation of like, who is this person? Why did they do this? Where are they? Uh, it's great. It's it's only deepened the mystery around the original game. What if some dude was going around making like fake Banksies <laughs> and like everybody thought it was really Banksy? You know, that's kind of what the remakes are. Yeah, exactly. Except... <laughs> well, see, what's different about Yume Nikki, though, is that there's already been like 10 plus years of people openly making fan games and knockoffs that have been embraced by the fan community. Yeah. So I think that's partially why people got annoyed because they're like, we already have our own Yume Nikki economy. Like, <laughs> don't try and come in here and make a new Yume Nikki economy. We already have one. So I, I actually understand why people weren't into it, but I also think it's kind of short-sighted because it is a good game like it's good it's fun to play after the patches it has the spirit of the original game um Mm. might talk more about later might never mention it again because i don't know maybe we can talk about that game sometime (laughs) yeah i want to well i'm curious now right so yeah and it's like always on sale um (laughs) it's one of those games i'll try you made tukey first (laughs) (laughs) i hate that name by the way come on i uh Okay, so here's here's a side digression that has to come up at some point. Uh, I actually love it because I think it's so ridiculous. And uh, so I we talked about this in a previous episode for sure. But I had a band called 
Yume Nikki. Mm-hmm. And we had a song called Yume Nikki. And then we kept like writing sequels to it. Like in the same way that fans were making sequels to Yume Nikki, where they were just doing like knockoffs of it. Uh, <laughs> and the last one I actually called Yume Three Key. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so that's like Perfect. A, tr- a track on a record is called Yume Three Key. I thought that was mm. so funny. But then there's a fourth one that's on the first Another Heaven record, and that was going to be called Yume Four Key. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But then I just called it Uboa, which is another reference. Mm, So uh, that's what that's a reference to. Uh, But yeah, I, so, okay. I found this game in, I think it was like 2011, I want to say. And I just got super obsessed with it, reading about it, reading about all the legends and speculation and just all the weirdness. And Mm -hmm. so I downloaded it and started playing it. And at the time we lived in this really big house and we had roommates and stuff, but, uh, we had like an office on the first floor and I basically found that after like a certain time of night, you could just close the doors of that office and it was just like, you were in your own little world. And (laughs) so basically I would just close the doors of the office and turn off the lights and play you may Nikki. And I found that I could just play it for like hours really like i could totally just disappear into this crazy bizarre world and i was just like so so obsessed with it wow okay when i play this game i think about that i think about just living in a shitty house that's drafty and it being really (laughs) cold outside and wearing my coat inside and just being (laughs) really depressed but then just like playing this game about being depressed and somehow those things equaling happiness i don't know Mm. were you um reading about the game online while playing it like because there is that sort of like meta game that you mentioned right Uh, so yeah we we were discussing this before we began recording, but this game basically has just like a giant meta game. If you haven't already picked up on it of Mm -hmm. reading about it on the internet and interacting with the fan community, even if it's not directly just looking at what people have documented. Cause Mm -hmm. especially back then when the fan sites were a little, you know, hairier, I guess like, it was cool because it's sometimes you would just be reading a forum post and someone would be like, I saw this or I saw this. And it was like a bunch of people were exploring the same place and just saying mm. like, Oh, I found this or I found this. And so I'd already seen a lot like little screenshots or little snippets, not like videos even. Um, it was just like, Oh, like reading a little thing. It's like, okay, I want to find the spaceship with the keyboard guy or like, yeah. I want to find this staircase that I saw a picture of. Like, mm. And I actually think that doing it in that vague sort of way really enhanced the experience. Like, Because this is a game that's very easy to just bounce off of. Like, If you start it up and just start walking around and nothing happens and you just walk through a bunch of doors and nothing happens and you're like, well, fuck this. Like, what even is yeah, this? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, the visual style obviously places it in like the world of 16-bit games. But I think even more than that, that quality really places it in the world of 16-bit games. Because there were so many games in that era that you could just turn on and nothing would happen. And you'd be like, fuck this. Like, 
I think we mentioned it in a previous episode, but like I'm, I wish I could get actual data on how many people started up uh, out of this world and just like oh, d- yeah. didn't get past the car crash and then just turned it off and never played it again. Oh yeah, when you're stuck in the pool at the beginning of the game. Yeah, so that yeah. game, classic uh, side-scrolling cinematic platformer, uh, begins with a car crash. Your character is underwater, and you have to—I think you have to tap up to like yeah. swim. But there's no prompt, and you never have to do that again. So it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of. I remember my friend had that game, and he was like, "I don't even get what this is." And then I figured that <laughs> out, and I was like, "Oh, I get what this is." <laughs> So, I mean, this is a game that's really easy to just bounce off of, but I think sort of knowing that there are wonders hidden actually helps the game. It's so cryptic on what you need to do um, to progress. Like, nothing really feels like progression in this game. Yeah. Uh, Everything's open to you from the beginning of the game, and you can just wander around at your leisure. Right. Now, there's there's a couple abilities that will help you like you know there's a lamp ability so you can see in the dark things like that but there's really no hindrances to your progress right from the beginning of the game right okay so let's talk a little bit about what this game is it's yeah essentially a free roaming 16-bit walking simulator game very abstract Uh uh-huh um, I think if you want to be really reductionist about it, yeah, it's like an Easter egg hunt. It's like a video game Easter egg hunt. There's a bunch of abilities you need to find. Like you can talk with NPCs and get an ability. And then once you get them all, uh, it's kind of the end of the game. Right. That, that's uh, Saying that doesn't really do justice to the experience. Right. So exactly. Basically in the game, you start it, you wake up in your room. And you're this little cutesy earthbound character <laughs> named uh, Matotsuki. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this stuff, too, is stuff that people had to, like, data mine or just take from little clues hidden in the game. I mean, there's names mm-hmm. for all the characters, but, like, the game doesn't tell you any of it. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many strange little unique NPCs and things like that. And... They all have names on the internet, and I'm wondering to myself how the hell people figured these names out. Yeah, that once again, it's all in the metagame. Yeah. Um, but So the game doesn't tell you what to do. Basically, you can walk around your room. You can play a little video game console. Uh, yeah. You can't leave. Your character just shakes their head if you try to leave. Like, hell no. I'm not going out there. Right. You, you can go out on your balcony. You can go out on your chill. balcony. Yep. You can write in your diary. And sleep. <laughs> yeah, you can go to sleep. And when you go to sleep, you wake up in a sort of other world version of your room. Mm-hmm. And there you can go into a hub world that's full of doors. Yeah, if you exit the front door of your apartment, you you end up in this like circle of doors. Right. And so from there, you can enter any of the doors, which takes you into a new world. I think there's 12 of them. Yes. So there's 12 worlds in the game. And basically each world has not just a different map, but also a different visual style, a totally different sense of design and aesthetic. Mm. And 
What's really fascinating is that all of these worlds are interconnected. They're filled with secret areas and secret passages, and mm-hmm. they're filled with little events that can happen. Yeah. So essentially, it's like a deceptively open world. At first, you think, okay, I just go in this door, and then I wander around here for a while, and then I can leave and go to another door, or whatever. But actually, a lot of the areas are interconnected. A lot of the art styles are very separate and disparate. Like, um, one room might look like Marble Madness, and then you might be on the surface of Mars, and it might look photorealistic, like pixel photorealistic. Yeah. And then you might end up some somewhere else that's very abstract, and everything's 90-degree angles. Um, and throughout the entire game, there's a lot of, like, uh, artwork that looks like ancient Mesoamerican tile work. Yeah. Um... That seems to be a recurring theme or motif in the visuals, but um, most of the time you never really know what to expect. And the worlds don't make sense either. So, I mean, you'll be walking through a sewer and go upstairs and you'll be on top of a building. Right. Uh, Things like that happen frequently. Yes. So this game is really, really psychedelic. There's Mm. tons of vibrant colors and, yeah, crazy shifts in art style, but also just shifts in everything. So, yeah, you can be, like, (laughs) underground somewhere colorful and then go topside and it's, like, black and white. You know? Stuff like that happens all the time. The architecture doesn't make sense. It's super, super cool, especially because of just the level of minimalism that's going on in this game. You know? Like it still achieves the psychedelic effect, but with very simple graphics and very simple sound. There's no combat and there's no dialogue. Um, there is an interact button. So you can like every once in a while, you'll be able to like interact with the NPC and you'll have like a weird visual effect or they'll disappear or something like that. But there's no real like interaction in terms of like speaking to people or anything. Right. Um, you do end up finding a kitchen knife so you can kill things, but it's not really necessary to kill anything. That's what I was going to say earlier. There isn't any necessary combat, uh, mm. which is also an interesting twist because, yeah, at some point you get a knife and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to kill things, and you don't. You can choose to kill things, and it's just kind of weird and dark. Yeah, things run from you. Like, they don't yeah. want to be stabbed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting, too, is that there's you can use that to trigger some certain events or interactions. So mm. ultimately, it just ends up being another way to interact with the world, which is pretty interesting as compared to like what would normally happen if a game gives you a knife, you know? Right. So all the worlds uh, loop on each other. There's no like edges to the maps. Right. Uh, which can be like really, really confusing. And it has... Um, I don't know, it sort of has like a dreamy, nightmarish quality to it. And the music is all very short loops, too. Yeah. Um, Which can either be um, like hypnotic or annoying, depending on the song. Right. But more, it's more likely that the song is going to be really, really good. Yeah. Because I love this soundtrack. Even, it's strange because all the loops are literally like five seconds or less. Yeah. But it's just... I don't know. They do so much with such a short loop. It's yeah. It's really interesting. 
Totally. It's a it's a great exercise in economy in composition and just how much atmosphere and environment they're able to create with just very little. Yeah. And there's a ton of tracks too. Yep. Um, some unique rooms. I mean, you might only be in there for a few seconds, but it'll be a unique song. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, this game doesn't tell you anything, which we said earlier, <laughs> but there's sort of like two objectives in the game that are going on simultaneously on the one hand and this is something you could easily figure out by looking on the internet i guess the quote-unquote point of the game is to collect all of the effects um yeah so each world has basically like an item you can get from it if you collect all 12 you get to see the ending of the game so mm-hmm. that's like i guess from a video game standpoint the point but right. uh, the real point of the game is, number one, to just wander around and look at things. That's mm-hmm. number one. Vibe out. <laughs> Vibe the fuck out. But And I thought of this because you were talking about unique rooms. Uh, a big thing is that this game is full of secrets and little unique areas and things that happen that differ from playthrough to playthrough. So... yeah. Basically, this game is full of randomized areas and events. Like, I don't think... I mean, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like there's a way that you could 100% play through this game in one, uh, like, playthrough. Hmm. Okay. Because, like, there's a lot of stuff that's randomized. And there's a lot of stuff that has a very small percent chance of happening. So, mm. like, and that's actually surprisingly some of the most like iconic things in the game. Because instead of cutscenes or a traditional story or dialogue, like you mentioned earlier, this game instead has little events. Sure. Now, essentially, what these are is that as you're exploring and wandering around, certain things might happen to you. <laughs> mm. And these mostly take the form of little animations or sometimes they're like screen filling like stings, you know, like something <laughs> pops up at you or sometimes it's just a really weird cutscene. Um, yeah. So a couple of like the most common and well-known ones, uh, there's like when well, you're talking about that kind of Mesoamerican like art style earlier yeah there's one yeah. where just like this thing that just looks like a giant sort of trickster god like dances at you while techno music plays <laughs> <laughs> uh and that's when yeah. you're when you're in like the wilderness full of boxes yeah um that's a pretty common one i like the creepier ones yeah um there's a couple ghost ghostly ones yeah uh, i came across one naturally where it was just a girl in the dark and you talk to her and like for some reason her portrait fills the screen yeah and then she slowly fades out and she's gone and that's like the only time in the game you get a full screen portrait like what the fuck yeah her name is monoe uh Mm. that's like one of the best ones but there's actually a bunch of those hidden in the game so Mm. there's like another related character named monoko but she's like really fucked up and creepy looking Oh, yeah. uh, there's the aforementioned Uboa, uh, who's kind of oh, like, yes. he's almost like the mascot of the game at this point. Oh, really? I mean, it's just like taken on such a significance, you know? 
but mm. he's basically this creepy he looks like the no face from spirited away you yeah. know and like he there's like an area where you can go and meet an npc and if you stand there flicking the light switch on and off <laughs> he might like yeah. pop out and jump scare you basically <laughs> i did that last night yeah it's yeah, and then you interact cool. with them, and you're teleported to this weird hell world with, like, giant limbs sticking out of the ground. And they look like crayon drawings or something. Yeah. So the game is, like, full of these. And, yeah. my the, One of my favorite ones is there's a... Uh, for some reason, you, like, go through a door in the forest, and you're on a spaceship. Yeah. And on the spaceship, there's a bed. And if you sleep in the bed... You wake up and, like, the spaceship is, like, on Mars now. <laughs> yeah. And you get out and you start, like, walking around Mars. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and some of these locations, like Mars, have a totally different art style. So the spaceship is great because there's basically, like, it's just so weird. Well, it's it's all white and the alien in there is just, like, vibing. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, like, a giant, like, keyboard, like a synthesizer keyboard, and you can play notes on it. Uh-huh. So tight. Yeah, his name is uh, Sekhom Masada Sensei. <laughs> no, really? Oh, he's a teacher. I, I Dude, I have no idea. But I love it. And wow. I think... So what's really cool about this game is that these events are all just so weird and unexpected and awesome. And they really trade on what I think a good walking simulator does, which is that it like suddenly shows you a new area or a new room or just something that takes you by surprise. Um, mm. And like, you're just not expecting to see it and it has some sort of effect on you. And I think this game is like really, really good at that. You know, have you ever tried reading like Finnegan's wake by James Joyce? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this game kind of reminds me of like that or like a Burroughs cut up poem or something. Yeah. Like, it, it's not, like, very palatable. Like, it's not a game that, like, a normie, quote-unquote, could, like, pick up and play and enjoy. Like, you have to go into it knowing that it's kind of, like, an art piece to really appreciate it. I think you hit on something cool there, though, which is comparing this game to what I would call, like, difficult reading. Which yeah. are basically books that are just super, super dense stylistically and don't reveal the point of themselves until very late in the game and mm-hmm. essentially trade on the fact that you've been invested and immersed in this work of art in order to show you something sublime like mm-hmm. i think one of the most brutal well the two most brutal authors in that format number one is cormac mccarthy like anything cormac mccarthy just bludgeons you with just like people walking across like empty wastelands and then Mm -hmm. eventually just shows you these very beautiful images and like you know moving passages but I think maybe the most extreme book like that I've ever read and enjoyed I should say I'm not a big Joyce guy so I mean I've read Finnegan's Wake but it was more like just to do it Uh, (laughs) but it's like scaling Mount Everest yeah a book that I love that is in absolutely the same form is uh, 2666 by Roberto Bolaño. You ever read that one? No, I haven't. 
So Roberto Bolaño is an amazing author, uh, and he he actually mostly wrote like short, punchy novels. Mm. And then before he died, he wrote a book called Twenty Six Sixty Six. It's a dope title. It is I'm stealing that for my next <laughs> band. So the crazy thing about this book is he specifically wrote this crazy long form novel but then he also broke it into four parts because he was like i'm about to die i want these to be released as four novels over time so that my family has some income to support them wow so it's it's hard to say if he made it the way it is just to make money for his family or if it's like (laughs) totally meant to be the way it is but because it's written that way it is a fucking masterpiece it is insane it is like the most like drudgery I've ever subjected myself to just like for fun, but it's yeah. also like incredible and beautiful and the payoff that comes from it is amazing. Mm. And I think that you may Nikki is really in that same format. Like you spend so much time wandering around lost doing nothing, really doing nothing. I mean, when I say doing yeah. nothing, yeah. I fucking mean it, but then like, the things that you see in exchange are really beautiful and amazing. And it's partially because you've wandered around so much, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I was thinking about that recently. Cause I was thinking about walking simulators, you know, cause I played a couple recently and like, I don't know. I think a good walking simulator is showing you cool images and like changing the environment, but it has to be paced right. You know, like, if you sure. keep showing people cool stuff, that can be okay, but it's not as meaningful as if you make them like work for it. On the other hand, if you just do the Bioshock thing and like immerse people in a somewhat boring environment, like you can really lose the plot. And if you don't show them enough cool things, they just get bored and mm. it's not engaging. I think Yume Nikki has a really nice balance of just like holding your head underwater and then letting you come up for air, you know? <laughs> It also depends how you play it. Um, Because, you know, if you're playing it using a guide, I think, you know, of course it's going to be the fastest way to get through it. But I don't feel like you're going to vibe with this game the right way. Oh, yeah. Not Um, I think you have to kind of, like, accept that you're going to get lost. And it might be even best to play this game in smaller chunks if you're not vibing hard with it. Yeah, uh, because, you know, it, it is really an aimless journey. And the people that wrote these guides on the Internet probably spent a lot of time with this game. Yeah, I really can't imagine playing this game with a guide. I think that mm. the point of it so much is to be lost. And the point of it is to wander and discover things for yourself that I really can't imagine playing it with a guide like maybe certain areas like if you get stuck on something and you're like i know there's a thing i'm supposed to do here like that's fine like i okay so i recently went back to playing breath of the wild because i was like i really should beat this game at some point (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of funny because that's sort of how i play that game like if i get super stuck on something i might look it up but i would never look up like where to go next because that's like the fun of the game is just wandering and being lost. But like I said, I feel like this game already has, there's so much on the internet about it 
there's already such a meta game that I feel like you don't need to look up a guide. Like you can just sort of cruise, cruise the internet looking at you may Nikki stuff and you'll be like, Oh, what is that? Yeah. I don't see how anybody could finish this game without a guide. Um, because the, you know, a lot of times you're just, well, you don't know you're looking for an NPC, but like the next ability is going to be like some NPC and it's like, Oh, you have to interact with this tree in the middle of fucking nowhere across this bridge. Yeah. And like, how would you ever figure that out without a guide? Or, or like, um, there's, there's a part where you have to catch a rabbit and it's like this big giant area that loops on itself. And you know, the rabbit spawns at the same point every time you go through the door, but then it moves and it's fast. And so, you know, you're essentially just wandering horizontally until the screen loops and then going down a screen's length and then, you know, walking horizontally again until you finally see this rabbit, you know? So yeah, there's, I don't know if I would have been able to finish this game without a guide or at least, you know, within any reasonable amount of time. Well, sure. But that's what I'm saying is like, I feel like you should just play it and get lost and immerse yourself. And then when you get stuck or if you're like, there's a solution here, look it up. You know what I mean? I think you're underestimating how devoted to guides some people can be when they like play through games. Some people just have the guide open the whole time and just like, play through the game looking at the guide which is fine i'm not judging that (laughs) i just think that and and for certain games i actually think it kind of makes sense like strategy rpgs yeah or whatever (laughs) i don't know but like for this kind of game it super doesn't make sense i mean i guess like honestly the first many times that i was playing through this game i never finished it like mm. I had to do a specific playthrough to like finish, finish it, you know, because to me, like I said, the joy of it was just wandering around and discovering things and seeing this world. And also the only point to finishing it really is to see the ending, which we'll talk about. And <laughs> it's also very brief. So, I mean, it's not like the end of the world if you never finish the game. I also have mixed feelings about it. I... Mm. I don't not because I it's just like I like it or I don't like it. It's that I don't know if it fits the rest of the game. I think it's perfect. I don't know. I don't We'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on it, which I didn't expect to. When I like mm. the first time I saw it, I was like, "Okay, like that seems like the sort of thing I'd be into." And I was like, "Wow, I'm like kind of not." <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I do like the so the game sometimes it's like fourth wall breaking stuff like okay the, you hit the nine key on your keyboard on the tin key you hit nine to wake up you pinch yourself uh-huh. and sometimes when you wake up you're not really awake and you don't realize it for a second yeah like you'll stand up but like you can't leave or like you can't do anything or like this one time I woke up and my head was crooked yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So when we're talking about events earlier, there's a ton of them and a lot of them vary wildly. So some of them are like cutscenes, yeah. but some of them are just tiny little things like you might see a certain character floating by or whatever. But yeah, one of my favorite ones is uh, called the crick in the neck and you wake up and your head is sideways. You have a crick in your neck. <laughs> oh, it has a name. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Fans have named it. You have a one in 64 chance. Oh, wow. I think one time I woke up uh, in like a staircase. Oh yeah, that, that was, yeah. 
I think you have to do that to get the to get the ending, but that was weird. Yeah. So uh-huh. there's all sorts of little things like that, and I love it because it it like I said, if you play through this game organically, your playthrough is different every time. You know, like yeah, little things can happen to you every time you start a new playthrough, or little things can differ. You know with each run through which i love because as i've said before i don't really like open world games but i like open-ended games and this might be one of the most open-ended games i've ever played just in terms of like what are you going to see what are you going to do what's going to happen i can guarantee there's like nothing like this except for its clones i guess yeah but even they're not the same just because they're so obviously trying to be this game yeah and they're just so obviously like trying to meet fan demand you know what it's like uh did you see that someone i think it was earlier this year maybe it was late last year or something somebody made like a fake weezer ep that's supposed to sound like their first like their earliest recordings that sounds sick and i want to hear that it is sick they did a very good job and it's funny because all the comments are just like you know oh my god thank you weezer's not gonna (laughs) do this thanks for doing this why can't Weezer be like this anymore? Yeah, and it's funny because on the one hand, I kind of started to have this existential moment of like, wait, does anything matter? Is this just as good? But it's like, no, it's missing something because you know that it's just a copy that's meant to satiate fan demand. Hmm. I mean, what if it wasn't marketed as a Weezer clone and it was just like a sick power pop band? Like, it probably wouldn't have got the like the visibility but it would still be sick. Uh, he's doing a Rivers impression. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, it's just, I don't know. There's something about that, and there's something about the, the soul, you know, having the soul yeah. of something that, like, feels really genuine. I mean... It, well, it's essentially a cover band, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, man, I'm kind of a stickler for that, maybe in a way that's unreasonable, because, like, I heard a band recently that sounded exactly like another band and i was like oh my god this is like so fucked up like i can't even listen to this this is just such a like (laughs) carbon copy and i like kind of got upset did they sound like the jesus lizard (laughs) no it was like a band that i know (laughs) that was getting ripped off yeah oh no i don't care oh my god if i got upset about every band that rips off the jesus lizard i'd be in the hospital (laughs) i live in minneapolis dude Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I actually, I don't think there's anything like this. I think... The fan community and the clones and all that stuff, it's really fun, especially if you like this game and you get into this game, but I don't know. There's something really beautiful about how unique and mysterious this game is and how it's managed to uh, keep that mystery alive over all the years, even if it's just by accident. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, and the game's legacy, I feel like its DNA has been like injected into the indie RPG subgenre. I mean, even something like Undertale owes so much to this game. 
you know? Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Okay, so when Undertale came out, it was- the conversation was like, Oh, it looks like Earthbound. It's like Earthbound. And it yeah. blew my mind, So it was like, Did you guys just all forget about Yume Nikki? Or like, has nobody <laughs> played Yume Nikki? This is the thing I can't totally figure out. Because it has such a crazy fan base. And the fan base is big. But... Mm-hmm. I think it's way more niche than the fan base makes it seem. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's easier to talk about a game than to play it, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> no, 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 totally. And the Undertale thing, it was like, okay, this dude is super influenced by Yumaniki. And I don't know. It was also interesting that, like, to me, Yumaniki, there's a lot of things about it that feel very forward thinking. Like I mentioned earlier, I do feel like it's one of the early walking simulators. Like, mm. it bears a lot of resemblance to the later indie genre in ways that are kind of unexpected, you know? Sure. And the other thing is that the aesthetic pool that it's drawing from. So at that time, looking like Earthbound or being influenced by Earthbound was not super popular. I mean, Pokemon did it, but <laughs> other than that... Super bro. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I mean, other than that, there was a game called Control for the DS that was very, very good that mm. I feel like nobody played. Um, and I don't know, like when a game came out that looked like Earthbound, if you were a total old head freak, you're like, oh, hell yeah, dude, looks like Earthbound. But <laughs> it wasn't popular yet after Undertale, it's just kind of accepted into the canonical visual styles of gaming, you know? Yeah, I think even further this I mean, it it started this weird subgenre of like mysterious games, like creepy pasta type things, and I think it actually influenced creepy pastas in a weird way that made it like veer towards games, like things like Petscop, oh yeah, and like the haunted Zelda cart and things like that. You know? Oh my God! Yeah, I think in all the sort of creepy pastas that involve video games or the sort of multimedia creepy pastas like um petscop if you're not familiar is like a series of youtube videos about a fake video game that's kind of supernatural haunted maybe um, it's like a playstation one game that doesn't exist in real life yeah but on these youtube videos it's very convincing that it's real right and those games well quote unquote games all feel really really heavily inspired by yume nikki you can definitely see the the DNA of Yumaniki in the things about those games that make them scary or mysterious or whatever. Like, there's a real game you can play that has all that stuff. There's another one that we would be remiss in mentioning um, that is a real game. It's called LSD Dream Emulator. Oh, yeah. Um, sort of infamous PS1 game that's probably even more like quote unquote pointless than you Nikki. There's not really a goal or an ending. You just wander around strange dreamscapes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, LSD dream emulator similarly has a sort of legendary internet profile. It's a very weird game, but I think what separates that game from you Nikki is you Nikki has a real like emotionality to it mm. and it has a real heavy atmosphere and it has more connective tissue like 
LSD Dream Emulator actually has a lot of similarities in visual style and the sort of stuff that it shows you, but there isn't any connective tissue. You're just like in first person wandering around like it's basically weird textured cubes doing psychedelic lights. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like in Yume Nikki, you play as a character, you get details about this character's life. You see this character go through all these strange, weird events and see all these like strange environments. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, to return to that for a second, that's one thing that I really, really love like about this game is that the locations and the environments are so weird and they really feel like something you would dream up, especially in the way that they're connected. Like that. Okay. So, I mean, I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but I have like crazy, I used to have really, really crazy dreams, like super nutso crazy dreams. <laughs> and like when I started playing this game, it really blew my mind. Cause I was like, Oh my God, this is just like a lot of my dreams. Like, the way in which you'll go into a tunnel and then walk through a door and then you're suddenly somewhere else. And like mm. that somewhere else is like this impossible landscape, you know, and it has like crazy colors and everything looks weird or like there's plants that are hands or like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, this game is called dream diary. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the v- developer himself like wrote notes of his dreams and then like threw them in the game in RPG maker Oh three, you know, well, totally. And okay, so that's the only thing that freaked me out when I first found this game was that I used to keep a dream diary and it I stopped because it got too scary because I basically <laughs> was like, I felt like I was encouraging myself to have crazy dreams and like, yeah, the last couple of dreams I had were just way too scary. And I was like, yep, okay, not doing this anymore. <laughs> um, but what was interesting is that I wrote it down and then I digitized it. Like I typed it up because for a minute I was like, maybe I'll just like publish this or something. Like I'll make a zine or I'll put it in the liner notes or something just to be like really Mm. scary because it was super scary. (laughs) Uh, And so I had this like document that just said in all caps, like dream diary. And I had been like staring at that forever. And when I found this game, it was like so similar to that. And it was like on the same computer. And I was like, God, this is really freaky. Like this person (laughs) captured that experience so well Mm. it's psychedelic it's sometimes funny it's sometimes like weird and charming and it's sometimes like really really scary or dark and depressing yeah like there's just moments where it's like kind of scary like you'll go into a basement that's empty and it's kind of industrial with pipes and there'll just be like a blood splatter on the ground and you think to yourself oh that's not good (laughs) <laughs> but there's no explanation for it, you know. You, and the the music might be like this super foreboding, scary, like ambient loop, you know. Yeah. Totally. And you walk outside and you're in a forest, you know. Yeah. Who knows? I love I love how it takes you through all those different feelings and environments and emotions. I just think that's super super cool and I didn't expect that and i don't usually expect that from any game but especially if a game is like it's dreamlike you know like you don't expect that so we didn't really talk about the effects much um there's useful ones like the lamp where your head turns into a lamp and you can turn it on and off and the one like the knife where you can kill things with a knife and like get some change and you can use the change in a vending machine 
But then there are a lot of effects that are just like totally useless. Yeah, one of my favorites is the poo head, where your head, like your hair, changes into like a poo shape. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The poo head is the most obvious one, where it's like, what? <laughs> There's one where you turn to a stoplight, which is actually useful because you can stop NPCs from running around. Yeah, so they're easier to catch if you want to talk to one or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of these, if you, so I'm looking at the uses for them on the fan wiki now, Mm, like a lot of them are very specific. Uh, So there might be like one event that you can trigger if you use this effect at a certain place. Mm. So I think they're largely meant to just be like little Easter eggs, you know? Yeah. Or or like there's one that makes your hair longer. This one says there's no practical use. (laughs) Yeah, I like the one that makes you fat, too. Yeah, or this one that makes you small. Like, yeah. there's some of these have, like, one little thing you can trigger with it. Uh, some of them are just, like, duplicates of the bicycle in certain areas. Yeah, bicycle is clutch. Like, yeah, I think you can get the bicycle first, too. Yeah. Which I'd highly recommend doing. Yeah, so it makes you move faster. Um, mm. And there's... Also cer- has a bell. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, some of these let you move faster, like through certain terrain or stuff like that. But once you have the bike, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the frog can go faster in water. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, but some of them don't. And yeah, ultimately, a lot of them are just kind of like cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting is that um, there's some areas in the game where it, it goes from 16-bit to 8-bit. Yeah, yeah. And everything is left intact like each special effect still has its own unique animations and pixel art um which i kind of didn't expect and even um like all the menus and everything are redrawn in 8-bit yeah it seems like a lot of extra work just for like a couple areas in the game totally well there's just a general vibe of like so much work being put into this game like just looking at the backgrounds and the visual style and how distinct they are and that it's in fucking RPG Maker 2003. <laughs> like, having dinked around with RPG Maker 2003, let me tell you, it's cumbersome. And this person made some real, real-ass art with, <laughs> basically with, like, the digital version of crayons. You know? So MS Paint, dude. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol on MS Paint. That's this motherfucker right here. <laughs> It is like, it's it's very, very impressive to me. I've always been impressed by it. But also, it's just cool. Like, you don't even need to be impressed by it or know any of the tech stuff. Like, it's just cool. Yeah. I love the atmosphere of this world. It's also free. I mean, like, that's the best thing about it. Like, in, in terms of being, like, it's accessible to everyone. Like, it'll run on, it's like RPG Maker 03. It'll run on literally any laptop. Yeah like ever yeah well and apparently it's on phones one of our discord members pointed that out yeah um i think this would be a great game to play on your phone uh it'd be super fun as long as you can hear it you need that soundtrack yeah i mean well obviously plug in the headphones dude yeah that Um, soundtrack is like surprisingly um it's it's in terms of audio it's past super nintendo it sounds more like a playstation game yeah uh, it's pretty high fidelity, like great synth sounds. Um, I don't know if it would be 
I, I'm sure it's like CD audio and not like you know like what do they call it like Red Book playing the MIDI instruments off the PlayStation. Oh yeah, no, yeah, totally, yeah. They're just like it's cool because it has a little bit of a like derezzed sound to it. Like they're maybe sure. they're not super high quality MP3s or something, but yeah, they definitely were like compositions recorded in a DAW. You know, it's yeah. really it's a cool. great vibe. I mean. Uh, the soundtrack really makes this game, I think. Yeah. I, I was telling you, it kind of reminded me of, uh, like, about 10 years ago, there was a, uh, like, this trend of these, like, Buddha boxes coming out. Yeah. Like, Buddha machines that, like, it was like a little rectangular plastic box that you could, like, play a drone on, and it would, like, drone all day. Yeah, I feel like this soundtrack would be perfect for like a bunch of those. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, the Buddha box was a little like lifestyle gadget that some musician made. Uh, I can't remember who made it, but like, yeah, you could just put it on. It would have like, you know, 10 loops or something in it. And they were just little ambient loops. Um, It was basically kind of part art piece, part toy and part like almost white noise machine. Like it was meant to calm you down. Hence the name. Yeah. I, I think that the music and even a lot of the visuals in the game do sort of have that vibe to them, which I really love about this game. Like the atmosphere is sort of warm and welcoming and mm, in the, general. Yeah. In There's general. A scary spots, but yeah. Yeah. Like the game is really weirdly relaxing, even though it's full of scary stuff and weird shit happens all the time in it. Like I really love that environment. Like I said, that was one thing that really made me come back to it and just sort of dive into the world of the game. I think it's like certain books or movies or whatever. It is like a great thing to play if you're just kind of like feeling down and you just want to like escape into some weird mm, little world. Yeah. I love Or if you're it. really sick and you have like nothing better to do yeah. because you're sick. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be like so fun to play you know in that environment and i think that's super cool um so that was you know one thing i was thinking about when i was like revisiting this game and just thinking about talking about this game this game has resonated a lot with a lot of people Mm. and that's you know including myself and i was thinking about why and i think a big point is that atmosphere right like the game has such a great atmosphere that it's not just inviting and something you want to return to, but something that really sticks with you. Like when you say the words, you may Nikki, you can instantly conjure what the game looks like. You can kind of mm. think about what the environment and looks like, what it feels like the atmosphere and the emotion that you get from it. So you're no, you're not really sure as you're playing this game as to what it's about but you know it has the vibe right and you know the main character won't leave their house and you know all they do is like sleep and play video games all day right so like that makes total sense that like if you're like if you're sick or you don't like feel good or whatever like this is like the perfect game to play you know right i think this is an interesting game to do right after lone survivor uh, mm, yeah. because I think there's a lot of parallels between the sure. two games. Like it's not a, you know, it's not a secret or an Easter egg that the main character in this game is fucking depressed. Like yeah. <laughs> it's very clear. They're a Hikikomori. 
They don't leave their apartment. They don't do anything. They're also a neat, I guess, if you're familiar with that term. Mm. Uh, and like, yeah, this character it has like a really dismal, weird life. But when they go to sleep, they go on these crazy adventures, which I think is relatable to anyone who's ever like been depressed or who's ever like used totally. fantasy as a means of escape. And yeah, I think it adds a lot of poignancy and relevance to the things that you actually do in the game. So I think the game, just even in the way that it's set up and the things that you do does have a lot of commentary on mental illness, depression, mm. and loneliness. Like, I think that meeting these characters and doing these things, it actually makes them all feel very meaningful because you know your character is lonely and depressed. Mm. So like when you get the knife and you can kill things if you want, like you also know that it's like, they're kind of my only friends. I don't think I want to kill the bird people. <laughs> right. Um, there's also like the psychedelic visuals and style, which I think there's a lot of areas that really do a good job of simulating what it can feel like to not like feel okay. Oh yeah, totally. Like um, some of these areas almost look like when you close your eyes and you rub your eyes too hard. <laughs> yeah all those like colored visuals in your like uh, yeah yeah it's like, like some of the backgrounds a lot of the backgrounds actually like move and change uh yeah and they totally look like that and i just i love the combination of those things like it really makes you wonder about what's going on in the game and it makes you wonder about why you're seeing the things you're seeing and it makes you interact with them in a really different way like I think yeah. in terms of environmental storytelling, it's pretty masterful in terms of themes like that. It's incomparable to any other game. I think in, you know, in terms of like film or literature, it's, it's, I think it's comparable to things, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's wrapped up in a earthbound game. It's, it's just so bizarre, you know? Yeah. It is kind of interesting how paradoxical it is that it's so unlike any other game it's kind of barely a game in some ways. It's barely a game, yeah. But at the same time, to appreciate it, you kind of need to know about video games. <laughs> yeah. Like, imagine sitting in, like, an art fan down to play this game and being like, this is art. <laughs> it's, like, impossible to convey. Like, Or it would be really easy, I guess. But I'm not sure. I've never tried. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Spoiler alert. The spoiler alert is happening right now. We're going to talk about the ending. So, okay. First of all, <laughs> first of all, as I said earlier, I think it's not super important to beat this game. I think it's almost just as good to just wander around and have an experience with the game. In my opinion. You're just saying that because you don't like the ending. No, I don't dislike the ending. <laughs> I just think that it's it's not as important, I think, as it is in a normal game. Once again, I mean, I think like a lot of my ideas about video games that I've espoused on this show, like horror games being anti-games um, and things like that, a lot of them are rooted in playing Yumeniki because I played Yumeniki when I wasn't really playing video games. And like that's part of the reason I loved it so much and why it felt so refreshing to me because it was like, this doesn't feel like a video game at all. I don't have to do combat. I don't really have to do traditional puzzle solving. I'm just exploring, 
you know? Yeah. Just vibe out. You just vibe out. And so I think that if you play this game and just vibed out, like that's chill, but also it's got a super dark, depressing ending. That's very fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Depression is a meme now, so people can vibe with this. (laughs) Is depression a meme? That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, memes are just depression personified into pictures of cute animals. You know, that's probably why I hate so many of them or like why they upset me so much. (laughs) Like if I'm just looking at my like Instagram explore page and just seeing like that some of the shit that people are posting is memes and I'm like, dude, you need to like talk to someone. Why would this be a meme? Okay. Here's the process. You've been wandering around in your dreams for 20 plus hours of gameplay. Mm -hmm. If you haven't used a guide. And then once you get them all, you can uh, turn them into eggs. And in the hub world, you drop all your Easter eggs that you found throughout your Easter egg hunt. And each one is uniquely colored. And, and even like the Munchkin one is like Munchkin size. It's really cute. Yeah. And then once you do that, uh, you can wake up and uh, on your balcony. Uh, there's a new set of stairs on the balcony. <laughs> right. And then uh, you can choose to jump off your balcony. Right. And in the game. Yeah. So your character kills himself. So, I don't know. On the one hand, it's like the most simple ending from a storytelling perspective. Because it's mm-hmm. like, your character is depressed they kill themselves but on the other hand i don't know i feel like it feels so definite for a game that was just not definite up until that point Mm. it's like it certainly puts a, a you know a punctuation mark at the end of the game but i guess the reason i said earlier that i don't love it is that i don't know i don't totally know if it like fits Hmm. just because the game is so open-ended the game is so vague and the game is just so strange like you're going through and having these adventures and you're meeting these characters and all these things are happening to your character and then at the end of it it's like they just die (laughs) yeah you know what Um, i mean like yeah totally not that I'm trying to derive some deep meaning or something, but it's like the game just feels so meaningful and it feels so emotional that like the first time I saw that, I just was like, what the fuck? You know, it's like when you're watching a movie and a character just really, or a TV show is better. Like you're watching a TV show. It's been going on for a while and a character just like dies suddenly and you're just like, oh, well, okay. Like what? Um, well, that's kind of like what suicide is like though, you know? Yeah, you always hear like, "Oh, I never expected this." Like it came out of nowhere, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm just it. It feels like some gritty realism, which I we hadn't really gotten up until this point. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Like it feels paradoxical. Uh, Well, like yeah, it almost feels like like are you still dreaming? You know, but no, the credits roll. Yeah. The credits roll to like a a blood stain on the ground. Yeah, it's really dark. Now, what is interesting about the ending is that it 
was very influential because so we were talking earlier about how much influence this game had on creepypastas and like meme horror etc like that to me is the biggest thing i mean having Mm. a game that's relatively cutesy that stars a cute little earthbound character who commits suicide at the end that's an element in all of these things everything from squidward is dead to pet scop you know like all of them have that element and i think Mulholland Drive. <laughs> okay, I'm not including Mulholland Drive in that <laughs> conversation, dude. Uh, but like all of them have that element in it, and it's it's really interesting because it is like shocking, you know, and it's something that kind of remains shocking no matter how many times it's presented to you, right? Like the idea that this little cartoon character has like an inner world that could drive them to suicide is like shocking. Um, And I think that's been highly influential, like upon that type of horror, you know, or upon that like type of media, I guess. I also like don't know how to feel about it also because it's like, I don't know, man, like that's pretty heavy. Yeah. It's not a good feel to like punctuate the ending of like the heavy vibes. Yeah, exactly. Like the game has such an atmosphere and such an emotion to it. And then to have it end that way, it's just kind of like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) It's funny because I think the first time I played the game and I saw the ending, I think to me it was just like, Oh, weird. Like the whole game is just weird. That's just how like a weird thing would end. Like Mulholland drive that actually, I think that comparison makes sense because it's just like, it's just weird, you know? And it just felt like inevitable. Like, she was going to commit suicide. Mm. But the more I've thought about this game and sat on it and had it kind of like influence me, the more I'm just kind of like, ah, I don't know. Is it just like edgelordy kind of? Hmm. We'll never be able to know. Yeah. Because we can't ask anyone. Kikiyama exclusive interview 2022. <laughs> we'll find out then. I'm emailing him. That, that email address in the readme file. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, he'll do it with IGN or something. <laughs> yeah, dude. But yeah, so I guess like I have I have mixed feelings about the ending, but I, I feel like the whole rest of the game is just so perfect. And I feel like it's had a really strong influence on like the current crop of like alternative games and walking simulators and things where you're just meant to sort of experience a game and mostly just like feel things and see things and not necessarily have some sort of like you know very defined gameplay element to it i mean it's a must play especially since it's free i mean especially if you like weird shit like um if you really don't mind broken narrative if you don't mind like getting lost and wandering around um if you like ambient music Mm -hmm. uh it's i think like even if you're not a gamer and you just like ambient music it might be fun yeah Uh, yeah totally it's kind of like if you made a game out of psychedelic ambient music almost yeah it's very much an audio visual experience more than it is like a video game yeah it's definitely more of like an experience but you know it does have an end and it's got like menus and stuff that look like an rpg and it's an RPG game, but it's not at all. Yeah. 
<laughs> I will say with the visual style, they did a really good job of hiding that it's an RPG maker. So the menus are the one thing where it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the icon on your taskbar. <laughs> it's like a generic guy holding a sword. I'm like yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, that's Yumi and Nikki. Yeah, that's sixteen bit month, kind of. Well yeah. Well we got another one, right? Yeah. It's not really sixteen bits, but it could be, I guess. Sort sort of. A couple of sortas. Uh Game Club. Game Club? Uh next is I'm scared and Doki Doki Literature Club. Yeah. A two for one. Yeah. And those both have heavy sixteen bit vibes. Well, I, I could see Doki Doki Literature Club on, like, the Saturn. Like a Japan-only Saturn game. Yeah, totally. Like some creepy dating sim from 1997. Yeah. Maybe not 16-bit. So this is, like, an unofficial sequel. Yeah. It's like those movies, like, Zombie 3, 4, and 5. They're not really the Dawn of the Dead sequels, but we're gonna say they are. Yeah. Well, and it's an yeah. official sequel to Indie Horror Rodeo. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, it's the chronology is all messed up. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. And then yeah, after that we're gonna do kind of a year uh, end wrap up. You know, yeah. talk some shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, have some thoughts. You know, home for the holidays. You know, um, wow, it's gonna be great. Wow. Yeah. I don't celebrate any holidays, so anytime I mention that, I'm I'm being extremely facetious. <laughs> I'm being shit-eating. I'm being a little yeah. jerk. Well, I don't know, man. I might start opting out of these holidays, all these uh, Christian holidays soon. I just think family's annoying. Like, I don't want to be around you people. Like, not to be a dick, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, oof, that's a whole... Topic. Look forward to Zero Brightness Plus, where we talk about our families. Blech. Don't tune in. But yeah, don't don't listen to that app. Listen to the soundtrack stream again. Oh yeah, hey, uh, yeah. we put out the soundtrack for a stream of the soundtrack for our patrons. Um, yeah, you can listen to the whole thing. It's like almost an hour long. Yeah, give us a dollar. There's some exclusive music on it. Well, probably not anymore, but. A couple songs came out first on that, but at least one of them will be in this episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, anyways. Give us a dollar. Give us a dollar, dude. It's the holidays. We're like the Santa guys, like, ringing the bell, except we're not homophobes. 